There are two kinds of rugby players, boys. There's honest ones, and there's the rest. Let it go! Fucking manic aggression! Did you scare anyone? Did you fucking put the fear of God into anyone? Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Oh, but I've gone up and over and maybe head over biscuit. This is my team, this is my country. I'm absolutely right. bloody well delighted. New Zealand are once again the champions of the Southern Hemisphere. The spring rock resurgence continues. Australia and Argentina look like they're out in the doldrums a little bit. And we're building up to the most vetted and highly anticipated game in Northern Hemisphere Club Rugby. My name is Mark Donoghue. You're very welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Tomato Salad. I'm joined, as I almost always am, by uh, the very bright Andy Nolan this evening. Andy, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Bright. I'm actually quite quite tired. It's been a long week, despite the fact that it is only Tuesday. Yeah. You're, um, you're on the like far side of tiredness where you're kind of... Yeah, yeah like it's, I'm just going through the motions at this stage. But uh, yeah, no, good, good. I mean, ca- tried to catch up on the weekend rugby, be uh, having worked my regular day job uh, for Saturday and Sunday and tried to catch up on all of it in a very short amount of time. So hopefully, hopefully I, I did as good as, as well as I could. <laughs> well, the source was a lot to watch, an awful lot to talk about. Um, Not least the Ryder Cup as well. So. <laughs> What's that? Trust me, I'm going to use that as a I saw Brian O'Driscoll was playing in the Ryder Cup. Yeah, well, it was a, a celebrity thing beforehand. It's like but... Space Jam, but with golf. Yeah. <laughs> and he beat Samuel L. Jackson. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, that's about all I know about golf. But we've enough to be getting stuck into this week uh, yes, we for do. one sport alone. I suppose before we get started... We'd just like to shout out a massive congratulations to two very good friends of ours. Yes, firstly, uh, Richard Deeney and Clodagh Schwartall-Boyle on the great news, wonderful news, if classic Richie style of not exactly out, uh, you know, <laughs> shouting about it from the rafters, but they got engaged. And we here at Tomato Salad want to wish them all the best. We're absolutely delighted. Absolutely delighted. Pair of fucking legends of the Absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I'm not sure that Clodagh listens to this. I'm pretty <laughs> sure Richie does from time to time. Yeah. But look, we're, we just want to say congratulations, guys. Um, Many happy years ahead of you. Absolutely. Uh, before we get stuck in, there's one other shout-out that I actually haven't told you about, Andy. Do you remember our uh, aforementioned Scronin of a few episodes back? Yeah, Scronin. Yeah, so I gave him a shout-out. Yes. Do you remember I was telling you if he hadn't stuck a ring on it, he should have already? Well, he just fucking did. So Scronin and his missus have also just so gotten engaged. So Scronin, that's yeah. a plus one on the board for The Scronin. joyous love is bountiful this week, isn't This week is a great week for love. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's park the love and get yes. stuck into the rugby. Let's start, I suppose. I want to start this week with the rugby championship because obviously there's a lot of talking points and really... You know, for us as an Irish focused uh, rugby podcast, the main thing that's on the horizon here is the Leinster Munster game. So we're going to dedicate most of the podcast to building up to that. But we did talk about it last week. The developments I think are pertinent for Irish rugby going forward, especially with it being a World Cup year and uh, New Zealand coming to us in a few weeks, and and the possibility of New Zealand or South of Africa course. But, uh, in a World again, Cup semi final. I, I also just love to uh, that that thing we always talk about. We love, and everybody does, and it's true. We should, and we need to do it. Like talk about how teams are performing in that in the build-ups of the World Cup. And at the same time, also recognising that all of that, come the World Cup, goes out the window. 100%. <laughs> but um, there, is a lo- no, there is a lot to have taken away from this weekend, um, certainly in the build-up uh, to the World Cup, and November, certainly, from an Irish and New Zealand. Where do you want to start? Will we start with South Africa, Australia? We'll start with South Africa, Australia, if we'll follow, follow the timeline. Yeah, of the day, yeah. of the days. Yeah, I mean, I know I, I said to you when I eventually got to watch it on Sunday, I said to you that I was finding us at a slog on my first viewing of it because I, and then I realized I, I was actually just incredibly tired and I actually stopped uh, halfway through, came back to it and rewatched it the first half and then watched the second half for the first time. And quite frankly, actually, I was, I was wrong. Yeah. It was a great match. It well, was, I thought the first half was a, it was a first, it was a great first half of rugby. I thought the second half, there was a lot of mistakes. A, there was a lot of errors, a lot of errors, a lot of mistakes, no question. And I mean, look, there were definitely some in the first half, currently Beal, which we will get onto because I'm, he had a I, stinker. Look, he had a terrible game that, anyway, but 
it actually was a really, really enjoyable game, an attritional game. You know, one for the purists, definitely no question. One for the Springbok purists, I thought. I was yeah, delighted to see that. What we're seeing, what we're seeing here is, and what we've been talking about is, we're, we're watching a Springbok pack get their forwards and backs in a cohesive fashion. Now, I don't think that that's not saying they are not the finished article just yet, but they are starting to work, and they are starting to build two separate sides that work really well together because they are showing that dominance and their defense throughout the day to hold off that Austra any Australian attack, their reading of players uh, out, out of the wing, their uh, frontline defense, their, their first uh, line runners. It was immense. Again, not the complete package, but they are working. And this is a springbok of old with, with wings that are, are, are far better. Than well, I think if you, if you look at the history of um, certainly in the last 10, 15 years, if you look at the history of successful Springbok teams, especially you know the one that won the World Cup in 07 and the one that participated in that incredible Lions tour in 2009, yes. like they were built on an enormous pack. And fly they had Brian Habana and JP Peterson mm. as their wingers. I think the Which, one, the one takeaway, the one word that kept, I kept writing down as I was kind of t watching the match and taking my notes was just, just the physicalities. The yeah. South Africa have found, refound their physicality. And I think in trying to develop a wider game over the last few years, you know, looking back, it seems like they nearly have. But they, so they nearly tried to, to move. Yeah, they yeah, sacrificed. They sacrificed yeah. Like, and, and, and what we saw was under um, uh, Katsia, mm. he tried to develop the back game, but unfortunately it started to sacrifice the forwards game. And the forwards game, once the, he started to try to rebuild that, started simultaneously sacrificing the backs game. And I'm not saying that it's, again, it's not the complete article, it's not fully finished, but it is. A, a far more cohesive team, right? Oh, and like, but like everything that was good about South Africa came about physicality. Like the anti's intercept try on thirty seconds. We'll talk about what an absolute mm. howler Beal had. But that came from the South Africa pack off the kickoff, absolutely mincing Michael Hooper. Absolutely. And then phase two, they were driven. The South African defence drove Australia back again. Phase three, Beal tries to fucking throw it wide for some mad reason, and the anti's got it and he's over. And. That was nearly game over. It nearly was, but I will, I will. I will say this as well because I have to, and I, you know me. Look, I, we both we can say some stuff, but we'll yeah. always admit when we're wrong, yeah. or at least admit when things we've said before are coming to fruition. And I said that the All Blacks being beaten by South Africa wouldn't have meant anything if South Africa didn't back it up. Yeah, and they have done that. Yeah, and they are, and they are, are progressing in that direction. And they're going to give them a serious game next weekend. Yeah, because I mean that, like they are away now. I uh, and again we'll talk about uh, the All Blacks and, and Argentina, but um, yeah, absolutely, they are going to go into it, uh, and they are building South Africa are certainly showing that they are moving in a, in a direction. I mean, the fact that Andre Pollard has probably had the two best games of his life in an international jersey in the last in his last two games is just showing the progression that they're looking for. And, you know, another... He player, was fantastic. He was, like, his break for that second try when he stepped off both feet in midfield. And it's like, it's just his... You know, we talk about it with Carberry, we talk about it with Sexton. When you... If you can get front football and you have an out-half that's actually able to play flat on the game line, you know, that just creates havoc in defence for teams mm. and you know South Africa haven't really had a 10 for a very long time like you know more no, they, they haven't, sat in but the they haven't decided on the 10 much like what, what's the problem with Australia as well at the moment. Yeah. They, they haven't decided on a 10 for quite some time they just need to stick up Pollard now just give him a run against yes yeah. the Yankees isn't it, he's not no, no. yeah least. and yet in saying that against the All Blacks when you had the two of them on at the same time yeah well, that worked really well. You but, can't depend on a player like Yankees, though, and I think no, you, you need can't. to build Pollard, Pollard into being yeah. a, a game maker. Yeah. Like, and but like in the first twenty minutes, South Africa. If if David Pocock hadn't been on the pitch, South Africa would have been out of sight. Mm. The bonus point tied up in the first twenty minutes. Like Pocock had three turnovers in defence in his own twenty-two in the first twenty minutes, uh, and that absolutely kept Australia in the game. Yeah. But like, well, it did. But and also, uh, uh, it, I think two players who kind of kept Australia in the game or at least uh, brought that that continuing and again it, it, it's a good thing that you have the players who can do this but it's also a very bad thing when they're standing out because they seem to be the only few players that are doing it and that was Reese Hodge and Wilgenia they had I thought really really impactful games but the problem is they're the only ones that really seem so indebted to that team at the moment. And Pocock does, and Hooper does from time to time but right uh, against South Africa they were the only two for me on the day 
who I think Reese Hodge is a brilliant player. He's, yeah. Like, I, mean, I think... And, the way he went down the right wing for Australia's first try, mm. like, absolutely fantastic. And he's kept Australia alive in games with us, so you can kick the ball from 70 metres over um, and penalties. He's, and he's playing in a, in a various, uh, a varied number of positions. Well, I mean, two. But we have to talk about this. Point. We have to talk about this, because we've referenced this. And this is... Like, Michael Cech is obviously a, an amazing head coach, okay? And he's had success in the Northern Hemisphere. He's had success in the Southern Hemisphere. He's won the championship with Australia. He's taken them to a World Cup final. So, obviously, it, they're having a, which, a bad run at the moment. Yeah. But, like, you have to remember that he's done all of that. Um, but at yeah. the moment, he seems to be operating on this policy that once you get outside of nine, it doesn't matter what number any player has on his back. So, Beal wears 10, and Tamua wears 13, and Hodge wears... Uh, Tamua wears 12, and Hodge wears 13. But they're all constantly shuffling around like if you watch them as they play they never shape up it's, as in 9 10 12 13 wingers another wing a full back like and if players if backline players were that interchangeable new zealand would be doing it but new zealand aren't doing that and they have the most talented <laughs> the most technically realized backline players maybe in the history ever of rugby in terms of their technical ability and passing ability you can't play this game I just think it's crazy. Like, Curtly Beale is so obviously well, look, not an international the Curly, the Curly Beale, Well, Curly, the Curly Beale experiment has failed. Um, and we've seen that it has failed. So he needs to stop that. Uh, uh, Petty at fullback actually might be working with Faleo on the wing. I'm not entirely sure. That I just think when you play Faleo on the wing, though, you take Faleo out of the game. Like, Hale Petty well, obviously is a brilliant think... player. But, like, who's the better counter-attacker? Because I think Israel Flair is definitely a better counter-attacker. He is, but at the same time... And he's the one who's going to be catching the ball midfield. Like More often than not, if you look at it, a fullback will catch the ball at least twice as many times in a game which has you know the average amount of kicking or whatever than either winger. Because normally it gets, either gets punted off the field or gets punted downfield. It does. But and if a, a fullback catches it clean, like Haley Petty's a great player, don't get me wrong. But I can't understand why he's taking Flair... Two, and I'll, I'll give that, but one thing that it does, and I, I know I, I and he, uh, Faleo, or not Faleo, sorry, um, Genia and Beale will take criticism for this, and I don't, I, I think Beale more so, but I don't understand why, when, regardless of whether you have him at fullback or uh, on the wing, but at the weekend, Australia did not kick to Faleo on, on the wing. No. So he like he like when you've got him up against uh, Colby and um, the anti, two like in comparison diminutive wingers. Yeah. But they didn't challenge that. They didn't send Filet up there, and they didn't send that ball. Out You'd have to wonder when they are kicking. They're kicking at the wrong time. They're kicking when they have go forward ball, or they're in the red zone. And mm. um, like but if you look the first try, they intercepted wide, and the South African defense were all over them. But like. Like me and you, who are like nothing in terms of playing rugby, know that off second, off off the kickoff, second phase, sorry, third phase, you've lost yards on the first two carries. Your pack is getting absolutely fucking minced. That's mm. not the time to spin the ball in your own in goal area yep. to try and go the length. Like, what is what's happening? Like, having said that, the flip side of this is, I suppose, what's the saving of Australia at the moment? If there is any saving to be had, the fact that they're not getting humiliated by everybody is that they actually do have very talented players. Like yeah, they their do. second try was a beauty. Like it, do you know what it reminded me of a little bit of the Murray to Stockdale try in Twickenham, um, where Guinea released Corbetti up the wing and then ran a lovely inside support line and took the ball back off and, and went over. But it was a similar sort of play. They do have really talented players. It's just what's what's the system? Where's the system? What are they doing defensively? They don't seem to be consistent in defence. They don't seem to be consistent in attack. And they have this idea of this complete interchangeability of, of, of positions in the back line. I just... Cheka needs to do something different. He does. And, and he needs to do it quickly. He does. and he, uh, But I don't, I don't know that... I don't know what the fix is there. Obviously, uh, the one, the biggest one is currently Bale is not a 10. Yeah. We know that. We know that. Uh, Research has, has stood up. So do you drop him... Out for Curtly Beale in the centre. No, can you drop Matt Tamu? I think probably not. I think Matt Tamu is one of their better players at the moment. Yeah, I mean, well, I'd probably say Reese Hodge, but so it kind of looks that maybe that maybe Beale it needs to drop. He's just too inconsistent. Yeah, like bring Foley back in and play Tamua and Hodge, and then Falawa full back and whoever you want on the wing. Like mm. Mannix, they've this guy that they've been bringing on off the bench. Mannix is young, he looks like a savage player. Maddox, yeah, but he's injured now. Oh, is he injured? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but anyway, so, I mean, that's the negatives in Australia. It's fantastic to see the South Africa back playing oh. Springbok rugby. You know, they call it, they, they call it, I have it on good advice that they call it slow poison. Mm -hmm. 
which is they just beat you up, beat you up, beat you up, slowly grind you down. But here's here's something, and I like, and I, 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 I that it's quite interesting that they call it slow poison. But I was really, really interested by what Erasmus, uh, Razi Erasmus, the head coach, said um, after the game. He said that they could have gone out, and I've forgotten the exact term he used, but he said he could have. Uh, from like I suppose it's an Irish term, could have gone out and put a hiding on them. Yeah. That's what he said. In you know, and he's absolutely right. Had a few of their, their uh, set pieces come off a bit better, had a, a few handling errors not correct. If David Hopper hadn't been on the pitch, they would have yeah, it would yeah, have been fucking out of exactly, sight. Half-time. And like and uh, uncharacteristically from uh Peter Steph de Trois, you know, a couple of knock-ons here and there. Not only him, but yeah. like um so, like South Africa really had the makings of tearing Australia apart. And while I don't necessarily think Australia are going to end up, you know, some sort of uh, lo- like losing every match at the World Cup because that's what we're talking about going forward. But they are in a bad place at the moment. Yeah, they are. And, but I don't necessarily again think as well that like if they lose Argentina at the weekend, Michael Checa will probably be sacked. I don't necessarily think that that's the call. What's the solution? Well, Swap places with Eddie Jones. Well, this is it. And <laughs> yeah. I don't know who. I don't know who replaces him, because again, I said it before. I don't know. They don't have the funds to pay someone yeah. because of the Michael Hooper deal, because of the fact that uh, they're losing uh, gate receipts and everything. Like realistically, I view Michael Checker being there, even if they do lose Argentina. I think the like the audience, the supporters, everybody, and the the media certainly are calling for his head. Realistically, I don't think they they can afford to drop them. Well, I think there's one thing, and we might move on after this. But I, mm. there's one thing that I think, like, <sighs> if there's one time that it's a good place to be in a bad place, it's an Australia rugby team twelve months out for a World Cup because they could still show up and win the fucking thing. Mm. Like I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, um, they just need to tidy up. They just need to get a clear sense of what they're doing yeah. and what they're about. Let's move on to New oh. Zealand, Argentina. Probably, I thought the most disappointing game <clears throat> of the weekend, personally. Um, yeah. Argentina should have won. Argentina should have won that match. They absolutely <sighs> threw it away. Like the lack well, of cohesion in attack. They thought they defended pretty well, but like they're set. You can't. You can't. I don't see. I know. I, I have I, a set piece misfire at scrum time and a line out time. Funny, but I was like, how and funny, have a hope of beating the Oblacks. How funny times have changed where Argentina now don't have a line out nor a scrum. What in the name? But they of have that? like the best back three, maybe yeah, <laughs> one like, of the best I mean, back threes in the world. Now I do. I don't necessarily think they threw. I think look, I I always thought the All Blacks were going to win that because they came back. They they were coming off the loss and they were going. Now they didn't win it pretty. Absolutely. Um, I just think as well. And that's what a, the All Blacks just to say though. That's what the All Blacks do when they lose. Like <clears throat> they resort to a physical game. Like um, when we beat them, they came to art. They came to Dublin and they played. A physical bordering on illegal game and um, they resorted to brute physicality against the Lions in the third test when they lost in Wellington and they were probably always going to resort to that because in fact it's amazing they don't do that more often it's extremely mm. effective yeah, but it's extremely effective but when you look at the players and like I mean you, you talk about uh, the brute physicality of it but at the same time up until kickoff you're talking about Luke Whitelock taking that field nobody knows what could have happened there but Ardy Sevilla comes on and does play one of the most dominant games at number 8 he's a freak he's a freak he's but a he's physical like, he's a, he, imagine trying to tackle that it's he's like it's like I don't know what he's like it's like it's like a Jack Russell on mm. steroids and crack at the same time it's like he's just for somebody who stays so upright in the tackle mm. it's amazing how many defenders it takes to bring him down and he consistently and again, gets him over the game no line. absolutely but I mean and he, he was he was meant but I, in terms of coming off and kind of out of nowhere, I mean, not in terms of, like we all know who he is because he, he's been playing for them before. But as well, the New Zealand front row dominant in something in Cowboys. a tree in a, a pairing of, of, of well in a threesome of, yeah. of, of forwards that kind of we give the names though Ofa Tuanga Fassi Ofa Tuanga Fassi Cody Taylor that's easy Cody Taylor that. yeah. <laughs> and Carl Tuanu Kefe Tuanu Carl to, to Anuko 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 Anuko. Anuko. Um, I was practicing them, over the weekend. I still made all the balls of it. All about Sanin, but Carl Tuanafa Tuanafa Fantastic, unreal. He destroyed. I suppose like in the stats there, it says that um, you know that Argentinian put in. They won four out of their five scrums. They didn't have a single scrum that was effective. Um, and New Zealand obviously won all nine scrums yeah. but like just saying that New Zealand won all nine scrums doesn't tell you the damage that no, was it done doesn't. No, the amount of penalties that were conceded at scrum time and like one of the things that New Zealand have done 
and you have to give them. I hate giving credit to them. <laughs> I because, don't. <laughs> I know you don't, but like, um, um, I, I just don't think it's good for a sport when one team is always. I know it happens a lot, but like, you know, maybe that's a different day's work. But credit where credit's due, when nobody's been really paying that much attention, New Zealand have quietly built over the last four or five years, undeniably the best scrum in world rugby. Like they're they're and again, it's all based. It's not based see, on just power. Yeah, it's technique, technique, technique. I don't. I see. I don't necessarily think I would agree with that, especially when you consider uh, Carl and Uffa. Because I know first first name here. What well, an unbelievable mustache! But, as well. Oh, it's so oh, yeah. Jesus. Um, I don't like. I think, and that's not to say that they haven't obviously been working on it. But you're talking about two guys who kind of, and certainly with um, Carl, are coming out of pretty much out of the wilderness, out of nowhere, and have been brought in, especially with the amount of injuries and about the amount of change. That Do I have this right that both of those guys didn't have a rugby contract at the beginning of the that's season? Fun. Yeah. That's incredible. And they're All Blacks. And yeah. they're starting All Blacks. Yeah. And they'll be putting and pressure on Moody and Franks. Absolutely. No, and they will. And, and I think, like, absolutely the All Blacks have been... And because that was, again, something that the All Blacks didn't have for quite a while in a solid scrum that was consistent... Um, and I think you you can see that in in Franks and 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 others that come off the bench, that when they when they can, there's a couple of maybe cynical pulling downs or whatever. They're all cynical team. But in world rugby. Uh, they are the but, most cynical team in world rugby. But I don't I, I I think I don't I, I I'm not convinced that they have the best scrum in world rugby at the moment. But I think that they continue on this form and they continue with with these guys. There's but if you big, look if you look at the strike comments. plays that they run off Barris. With Barrett going through, or Yuani, who's just what age is he? He's 22 or something. 21, 22, yeah. Like, that is ridiculous. He is ridiculous. He is so fast. Like, 21. There's no substitution for Rob. 19 Pace. internationals, 20 tries. Are you serious? Yeah. But and like, imagine would... you're Julian Sevilla. You have the most tries ever for but the All Blacks. Brought... And you're like, see you later, Julian. We've this young, new freak. But coming. that is one thing that. And it, and it, but it's good that you brought up uh, Sevilla because you have to bring it back to because everybody did. And we were the same about Sevilla at the time, scoring this amount of tries and this many tests. And now, off to France. Yeah. Like, so while uh, Yuani, and he was incredible at the weekend, it's one of those ones where. With the whole, it's funny because like if this was an Ireland player, you're like, I am, he'll be there for years. Yeah. With uh, uh, <laughs> it's like, well, we don't know. Like, we could don't. Just be some other it just could be some other, and like it just no. That's not to say we cannot appreciate him right now because oh, he's phenomenal. Oh, he's the best winger in world rugby. He's like. He's unplayable mm. when he's on the front foot, especially when he gets like he he's absolutely unplayable. But yeah, just, just 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 on that as well, it does. Like the, the the what's happened for this for Sevilla or whatever, it really does highlight what an enormous achievement it was recently for both Franks and Whitelock mm. to both to be, reach a hundred test caps yeah. for New Zealand. But, sorry, just on a quick, I'll finish on the, There's a quick thing about the scrum. You have to remember as well that the Southern Hemisphere and certainly New Zealand don't play the scrums the same way we play scrums up in the Northern Hemisphere. Scrums then there are used only to keep it up, get the ball out and moving. Which I disagree with that completely. New Zealand, New Zealand are now using their scrum to generate penalties in field position. Mm. Like if it's, a, if it's a midfield scrum on the halfway line or even in their own half, they use the scrum more as an attacking weapon. This actually, let's talk about this for a second. In modern rugby, the best attacking platform is in fact a scrum in the middle of the pitch in your own half because it puts the full back line yeah. up against a diminished back line because the, the, the full back or the wingers or however many players have to be back in the backfield waiting for a long field kick. And this is something Leinster have been taking fantastic advantage of or capitalising on a lot, and New Zealand do it too, that you use what should be like a defensive scrum. So you think, oh, a minimum of one half, but I kick the ball. But if you actually run from that position, there's more space than if you're trying to run from a scrum in your own 22. And if you look at New Zealand, on their own put-in, as they get in further into the opponent's half, they actually use the scrum to generate penalties. They really do. They did it against Argentina anyway. I'd love to do some stats I don't necessarily think that they did it against Argentina, though. I think Argentina, that they, like Argentina, with the way their scrum is at the moment, it just collapsed altogether. They had no real control over it, and therefore the penalties were coming. Yeah. I don't, like, I think I do, I would agree that I, I perhaps New Zealand are moving in that direction. Um, and you certainly hear it like from guys like Chris Boyd and Black uh, Todd Blackadder, um, w- having moved up to the Northern Hemisphere, and and they talk about their scrums and how it's perceived differently. I think New Zealand might be moving in that direction, but I don't think they're there yet. I think New Zealand still. You look at it, and certainly with um, another great player for uh, for New Zealand on, at the weekend was TJ Perinara. Look at how quick he is just to get that ball out um, from the scrum. And I think that is something we'll talk about it with Matheson in uh, Munster. Mm. Just how important it is. 
have a scrum half, get the ball away from the yeah. base of the Oh, because we can go back Quickly. to we can go back to my favourite fastest scrum half in Leinster. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to him. Oh, we'll get to him. Um, but no, look, I mean, New Zealand wrap it up with a week to go. Argentina very, very disappointed. I just think they but shot themselves is, in the foot. If actually, they had them scrummed properly, yeah, the lineouts, the lineouts were a joke. Argentina, Argentina need to be careful because they may have actually been penalised less than the New Zealanders. However, a lot of off the ball stuff from Argentina. Again, it's just cynical, silly stuff that I, I, it's I maybe the Latin passion type thing or whatever. But they like that's something that they need. But to, when New Zealand gave away penalties and New Zealand do this, they're calculating penalties. They give yeah, away but, penalties but this, in their own no, penalty. No, but this defense. wasn't. There was a lot of no, when Argentina they were losing their heads. But there was a lot of off the ball stuff that wasn't penalised for Argentina, and they really that's the sort of stuff. If Argentina just get all that together and just kind of get lads, we're actually a really good team here. We can do stuff. Let's just get dial it, it down a notch. Dial it down yeah. a notch. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, so South Africa, was, South Africa are going to give New Zealand a serious match next week in Ellis Park. I was, I was about to say, this is the first. This is the first championship in a while, and I'm including the Tri Nations in this, where New Zealand have had it, have it wrapped up before it's over. But. It still feels like there's, there's loads to play there's for. There's a lot to play for, and certainly when you're talking... And actually, yes, absolutely, New Zealand, South Africa, in South Africa, it's going to be great, hopefully. And, but also, New Zealand, or sorry, Australia and Argentina, a lot of permutations being thrown up there about, you know, because uh, uh, realistically, it's in Argentina. Argentina should... I, I, I do think they might they will win this. And it just throws up a lot of questions, and it's going to be it's just going to be interesting. And yeah. I do think the final weekend... Despite the fact that there is nothing to play for in terms of a trophy, and there's to play for. There is so much to play for. So call it. Who's going to win? New Zealand, South Africa. I'm going to have to go with New Zealand. Yeah. But not by that much. Yeah. And if it happens, because I do think it happened against Argentina, um, the scoreline, if even if it's a bit, if it's a bit big, I don't think it'll probably fl- it'll be a fair representation. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll go with I'm going with Argentina yeah me too Argentina are going to yeah. beat me okay let's move on to Pro 14 obviously we're building up to the big one Leinster Munster before we get into talking about the games at the weekend will we talk a little bit about the rivalry and the player management system and the attendance numbers so obviously like the Leinster Munster game the semi-finals in the Heineken Cup in the old Lansdowne Road in 2006 and then in Crow Park 2009, 47,000 and 82,000 people uh, respectively. Those are the records. There's never been more a bigger attendance. Over the last 10 years, the cumulative attendance of these of the Leinster-Munster games is a record attendance. It is one of the biggest club games in Northern Hemisphere rugby, if not the biggest club game in Northern Hemisphere rugby. And yet, this weekend, it's very likely that Johnny Sexton and Carbert. Joey Carberry and Tyke Furlong and Gary Ringrose and Peter O'Mahony Peter O'Mahony a whole raft of players yeah. frontline players aren't going to be available let's talk about this a bit because there's a lot of going on about the, oh, the rivalries diminished and this and that whatever what nonsense. are your thoughts on that? nonsense you think it's nonsense? I think if the, if you, if, uh, the rivalry do you not think it should be Sexton and Carberry? well okay but that but that's two separate things do I think that the that it should be Carberry and Sexton absolutely but do I think the rivalry is diminished no absolutely not I think if you if you are true to your rivalry realistically it doesn't matter who's going up against each other um, it, it you know you're going to be there and it's going to be a really enthralling game so I do understand where a lot of people are coming from with this um, but at the same time and all that there are so many frontline players and okay oh and maybe you might argue not frontline players, but they are still high quality international standard international players that are still going to be on that field to make this a, and hopefully another and okay, fair enough, they haven't all been classics, but another worthwhile enthralling encounter of uh, both conference uh, leaders right now and one who you kind of expect to to be where they are, and the other one who's been up and down and had a you know like great win and all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean. Do I want do do I want Sexton and Carberry? Absolutely. Am I am I upset that they're not realistically going to be there? No. Well, I I think it's this. The question is like obviously the, uh, there's two things about the rivalry. I think I think one obviously we're Leinster fans. You know Leinster have overwhelmingly been winning these games. Mm. They're not having won all of them, but over the last four or five years, really since 2009, obviously Munster won a few, but that was a real turning point. Before that, Munster had been incredibly dominant. You know, the first professional Irish team to win the Heineken Cup. Obviously, Ulster won it in '99, but Munster, you know, that really put Irish rugby on a map. And I think definitely the Munster fans hate Leinster. They definitely, absolutely, like I went to the Leinster Munster semi final last year with a friend from work, 
really nice guy, Tony Ryan, whiskey, whiskey expert, monster man, true and true. We were queuing up for a few pints beforehand, and I was like, what the f- what's the story with this anti-Leinster sentiment in Munster, you know? And I was like, you know, when Munster were doing brilliantly, and even when they weren't doing brilliantly, we were cheering for ye. And, like, that was an incredible thing for me and my family. I remember watching Axel lift the, the Heineken Cup and how important that was. And he turned and says, we don't even want you cheering for us. <laughs> and, like, that's really in a way that it's well, visceral I, in a way that it isn't answer. So well, I think the rivalry, the, the dilution of the rivalry, it might feel like that a little bit from our end, just because it, it hasn't been as close fine, in recent years. And just one more point, the second part of it, I think. The other reason that the rivalry used to be really important was because it was that rivalry and that jealousy between the two. It was Munster winning first and making Leinster really recognise how much they were underachieving and drove them on to incredible success. And that shouldn't be forgotten, yeah. that that was the catalyst for that. That relationship, that friction, that rivalry drove the development of the Irish rugby scene and the Irish international rugby or whatever. And maybe we don't actually need that anymore. Like, if you look at how well Ireland's going, how well it's been managed, it's so much more professional now. It's so much more thorough. And clearly, it's so, well, at least it has been recently, so much more effective that you would have to wonder, do we need a rivalry as much? So I just suppose those are the two ways that I'd be looking at it. Okay, fair enough. And I, I like, do we need the rivalry? I think the rivalry, like much of anything else, South Africa, New Zealand, even if the two of them are playing the worst rugby in the world, it's still going to be there. Yeah. But I think, and going back to your point about the, I don't want to say the, the, the hatred of against Leinster fans were all that, because I think there's a lot of instances that can go back and forth. But do you also not realise or think that the idea that this match in Lansdowne Road, without this the, these pairings going up against against each other, seems like the be-all and end-all. We still have to go down to Thelman Park. Yeah. And yes, somehow it, it's now seen as that Lansdowne Road has to be the place where the big occasion happens. While sometimes the occasion down in Thelman Park is, is really visceral. It's the exact, it's where it needs to happen. Because, you know, guys can still end up playing down there. And I do think, and you can understand, much like... I mean, and I'm not. I don't. I'm not speaking for Munster fans here, but in terms of much like when they talk about concerts that are always held up in Dublin and stuff like that, like sometimes when we just look at it as the match where it's played, kind of doesn't need to be the factor. No, I agree with you. But I suppose the thing is that because the this game, I suppose the original thinking behind because this game used to be both sides going out locked and loaded, but not that long ago, not as that. a build up to Heineken Cup rugby, and then the next game being around Christmas time. But what ends up happening now is that those are two are close before or after really concerted periods of the best players being needed Champions Cup, Heineken Cup rugby, and November internationals, etc. Like, there's a simple solution here change the fixtures. Just make it be a different date. It doesn't have to be this but week. Now, okay, now, fair enough that you could argue that, but at the same time, the fixtures are not made by the Irish rugby. Like, that they are made by the Pro 14. The Pro 14. Oh, yeah, but like, even as a business decision, it makes sense. Like, if you if you put the fixtures, if you have one of them, say, in the post-Six Nations, four weeks after the Six Nations or something, later in the season, and then one, I don't know, figure out a time that works. Like, if it, you could guarantee, or if you could increase the likelihood of, like, because we don't just watch sport for who's going to win. A huge part of the reason we watch sport, it's like Tiger Woods winning whatever it was he won, and that being a really big deal. Because it's not just about... The way, it's about the people. It's about the characters, in it? and there's something there's a lot very more, attractive but, about the idea of the, the master and the apprentice going up against each other. And, fine, and but there's a lot more to in the context of his age. Right no, now. absolutely, and you're right. But the problem is, and you're 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 talking about something that exactly came up actually in a, like with Ross Moriarty when he was talking about Johnny Sex and getting a few calls here or there. How how do you think cer- certain teams are, and and fans are going to start looking when they start dictating a calendar for Irish teams? Yeah, I understand your concern on that, but I also think yeah, you have to recognise the biggest game in the Pro 14 is Leinster Munster. It is the the most like the rivalry is unique in the, like the the articulations of it in semi finals and Crow Park and Lansdowne Road. I do think it is unique, and I just feel like they're not just from a simple business standpoint or whatever or a narrative standpoint. They're not maximising it like okay, player welfare is important and maybe people will turn around and say, do we really want two more high-octane matches on top of all the Heineken Cup games and all the internationals and stuff? And that's fair enough. But I just think, I don't know, like while I feel that Irish rugby doesn't need, as viscerally need, the Leinster Muscle rivalry as maybe it used to 10 years ago, I still think it's a bit of a shame that it's not being, whether it be Thoman Park or the Aviva Stadium or it's not being maximised. Because if you're a paying customer, if you're buying a ticket to go and see, like people who bought tickets to that match, guaranteed will be disappointed if it's not Sexton and Calgary. Right, okay, and like, I, I don't want to harp on about this, but I, I'm not denying that there are some people and probably a vast majority of people who might feel that way, but at the same time, 
you bought your tickets, not knowing. True. Was, no, but, but like you bought your tickets, you're supposed yeah. to be you're supposed to be there for the sport and enjoy it. And I'm sorry for me, it's it's like okay, have a, have a quick little gripe about it and show up and go to the bloody game and just watch it and be supportive of your team, regardless of who's playing. Regardless, no, 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 of, I don't, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not saying, saying I'm not going to. No, 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 but what, but. I just think that to expect, you know, the best of the best to be there, go and support the team, watch the game, regardless of who's playing, it's going to be a, it's going to be just an enjoyable day. And I suppose the flip side is, if both Sexton and Carby play and get very seriously injured, then you've got everybody turn around, yeah, yeah, and then everybody turn around, well, they shouldn't have been playing, you know, so it's, it's, it's a classic, can't please everybody all the time. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about. Are we talking Munster Ulster? Yeah. Another. So, what, fantastic. What we've learned is absolutely nothing. What nope. we've learned is Munster are unstoppable if you send your second string side to Thomas Park. They're going to absolutely rack the points up. Like, it's hard to know. Like, Ulster yeah. just. Ulster lost. So, to say this, Ulster lost Cooney and Henderson within about 20 minutes of the game starting. Yeah. Like, once that happened, they just didn't have the firepower to get over the game line. Munster just brutalised them up front. They did. And, and it's, it's, it is, it's one of those difficult ones. It's where there were some players, like certainly a player like Tommy O'Donnell, who I... It's a difficult one where I thought, like, he had a really, really good game. And then you kind of go, did he have a really, really good game? Or did he have what, an average game against a really bad Like, opposition? Darren Cave for Ulster, I felt bad for him because he's been playing really well. He was brilliant in both the games over in South Africa. He was, yes. And he had a shocker. Like, in a match like that where you have very few of your frontliners in place, there's no mm. best, there's no Stockdale, Cooney gets sent off, it gets um, removed, you don't have McCluskey, Henderson goes with an injury. You need your senior players, however many of them there are on the pitch, to stand up. Mm. And I felt bad for Kate. But, like, if, if, if Tommy O'Donnell... If Tommy O'Donnell runs through a Gary Ringrose and then goes a length for a try, or even if he runs over a Tom Farrell who's playing brilliant rugby in Connacht, we might talk about him in a second, no. then we'll really know where Tommy O'Donnell is. But in the absence of that, like, it was like Ulster threw up the white flag before they even came out. And for an interprovincial match, whatever about the dilution of the Leinster-Munster rivalry, there's actually always been a brilliant rivalry between well, Ulster and Munster. I, I don't know whether we said this before last week I, like because I'm, I'm you know i'm tired i'm trying to figure out whether i had a conversation with you or with that someone but we were talking or your about imaginary friend or my imaginary friend maybe i am your imaginary friend <laughs> maybe i'm doing this all by myself <laughs> yeah. i'm throwing my voice yeah. um but about how the conic lens rivalry had now become the bigger one you know yeah. forgetting monster and Le- and 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 uh monster and ulster have put on some of the greatest derbies in the last number of years, especially... 2014, when, especially. Yeah, you know, when when um, Ulster and Stephen Ferris, when he came back on, or when he, when he came back from injury to uh, boot Munster out of uh, the Heineken Cup. Yeah. Um, so, like, it, it kind of, there was that, there was that a bit of a shift, like, uh, so, much like, I mean, now the greatest rivalry in international is Ireland and New Zealand. Obviously, so, yeah. obviously. But, what do you mean? That's always been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You but, know, nobody beats Ireland 147 <laughs> times in a row, like that tennis player. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, I mean, it is, look, it is difficult to know where some of these players stand. We just, just know, it. like, what we're going to, what's going to happen very quickly, we're going to find out an awful lot about Munster. On Saturday afternoon, because they're going to send up. They'll send up. I mean, Carby might be there or whatever. It'll be quite a strong team that comes up, and like I, I really, 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 really wish you were right. And I'm not saying you're not right. I have a feeling that we're not. We're not going to see where Munster are until the following week. Until we get into Heineken Cup. I don't because I think that's against Leinster with what is predicted to be two sides that. Somewhat depleted of their front Somewhat line. Somewhat depleted of their Yeah, I'll go with that. Um, I do think, for lack of a better term, the business end, and it's not the business end because it's actually, you know, the business yeah. end is always the end, but this is... This is what we've had so far is like the prelude. Yeah. You know, and the, and, and, but it's funny, I think this season. is... I think Lens, or from a, from a Lenser fan perspective, but Lenser are the ones right now setting that benchmark. Not totally. Of having at a time playing Sexton and Fardy and a, and a number of these guys at a time where generally it had been considered. I'm surprised by how much they've played. Yeah, I am which is but which is why they're not playing this weekend. Yeah, um, and yes, absolutely, it's this point that we're not going to see Carberry and Sexton. But right now, what we might see is that Munster, you know, has been up and down, and we'll get a better sense of them. In, it's the way we saw to play any Leinster team is lit. It is, it is a lit because Leinster are like but the attacking Leinster right now. I think are the ones just kind of set, as I said, setting a benchmark and setting a precedent that I don't think we've seen in the Pro 14 before. 
Yeah, or and we'll talk. We'll, we'll, go on, we'll go on to Leinster in a second. I suppose thing, things to mention. I wanted Alvy Matheson. Oh my God, what a debut! Yeah. Like they should keep him. They should try and keep him because at scrum half, the speed that he gets the ball away from the rook, yeah. and it's like somebody was saying a commentary. Liam Tolan was saying a commentary. It's like he doesn't have an off button. No. Like he never stopped. Like when he uh, Tom the Brady NFL, started yeah. that ball. Oh yeah, my God, yeah. it was incredible, and it set off. Uh, it which, set down the left wing. Left wing, try which is it. different from when uh, Stephen Lutu did it for the Barbarians because you expect it. It's the from Barbarians. The, exactly. Let's open up the game. That was like there was. I guarantee, much like myself, there was like a, hundreds of monster fans just going, "Mate, put the ball down!" But it just it but just highlights really that uh, Dunkel McWilliams or whatever Dunkle. his name is, and the other fella, James James Hart, that they're just not at the standard required. They're not. There's, there's such a gulf, and when but, monster do get front football, players I, like that will completely take the value out of a player like Harbury or a second player maker like Scannell. Um, they should try and keep Madison. Man, he just... Yeah. Between himself and Harbury, the pace they're playing at, two um, teams would be able to Exactly. And again, this is a classic example of what I think not only Leinster have done, but I think Irish sides and actually Munster beforehand have done and do so well. We don't hire in what a lot of people might call mercenaries or hype. Yeah. What we do is we hire smart. We yeah. bring in guys like Ali Madison. I guarantee you a 90% of not only like Ireland fans but Munster fans didn't know who the fuck he yeah, was yeah. and like I knew who he was and I you know, had seen it and I'm like and I, I wasn't saying that he was going to be the, the signing that they needed but what they did was they brought in a guy who was solid who knew what the game and he wasn't some sort of flash um, high Harry. paid Harry, yeah like but he and then they bring him in and look what he does he adds to a team that's already being built and it's already there and he just he doesn't He's not hogging the limelight. He's not going about trying to be some flash Harry, but he's just doing his job well. I think the, so the, well. the speed that he moves the ball from the rook allows Carberry really attack the attack that gain line with a retreating defense. Mm. Like we're always talking about it. If you get over the gain line, the defense is moving backwards, so you're more space thrown into. And if you slow the the rook ball, you know you're just allowing defense to set and press up. And if you watched Matheson, so I'm, I'm a loser and I do this, but it was an under five second recycle. So tackle to ground, ball placement, and yeah. ball away in less than five seconds. And if you have less than five second recycle, like when the All Blacks get less than five second recycle. They score 60 yeah, points. Yeah. Um, and, and it's vitally important. And I thought Carberry looked really good in the front foot. I thought he took his Carby stride was, brilliantly. Carberry is, in the, the games he has started at 10, has just been developing into that player and, can, and, and putting his feet down into that player that I know when we said he could be, which I had doubts about whether he, he would become, mm. with being shifted around and certainly at Leinster and all that. So it is wonderful to I see I think that. it's no harm that Murray hasn't been available because if you look at it, Munster played through Murray and why wouldn't they? Mm. Um, and now, Murray it, it, kicks, it, does a lot of tactical kicking. Yeah. He does a lot of the playmaking. So the fact that Murray hasn't been there means Carby has had to take more of that on himself. Absolutely. And I think he'll only well, benefit from it. No, absolutely. And from like from an Irish perspective, there is that side of, I, you, you, the, you want Murray there it's it's unfortunate that he's not from an Irish perspective, but Munster have not so far lost anything from certainly from Carberry. Yeah, with with the no, and I think the fact that Scannell, I think a, a, a player like Scannell suits Carberry maybe a little bit more than a Robbie Henshaw or Bundy Aki. He's a second playmaker. He kicks off his left foot. He he, he can kick tactically. And I'm, yeah, but I'm, I'm, into the corner. Absolutely, but I'm still going with the fact that right now in our centres, in Ireland perspective, it's a key. And a, I, I disagree with you. We'll get on to Leinster Connacht in a second, but. Like I thought Conway looked very good at fullback, much more sure than Halley or Halle or whatever the fuck Mike Halley's name is, I think it's Halley. Um I thought Conway looked very good. I thought Wilton looks very good on the on one wing. I thought <sighs> Earls looked like he's getting back to Yeah, but you, see, but you see there's a difference. Like you, you can you, and I would agree with you, Earls kinda of getting back into it. Wooten has had one game and you're like, Oh no, like I don't think Wooten's getting going to get there. I well, don't, I don't know. I don't, it's hard to know. I mean, he has. I think he has all the attributes. He's got pace. He's got good feet. He's got good hands. He can kick. He's a good catching game. He's a strong counter attacker. Um, you need to give these guys. I suppose the thing with Wooten is that he's behind so many wingers. Mm. Um, he might struggle to get game time. But Munster's backline looked good. I thought the pack looked decent. But like, if Munster's pack hadn't looked decent against what Ulster put out, they're in, they would have been in dire straits. Yeah. So again, what are we five games into the season? We don't know where Munster are. Mm. They do have the quality there to go. I think they have the quality there to get themselves to a final. They maybe even have the quality to get themselves to the winning of a, of a championship. If but we're, if, if the next three weeks will tell us an awful lot. If we're saying now, I say. If you look at it on paper, semi final. Semi final. Semi final. I think they, you know. Anyway, we'll see as the season goes forward. Let's I know, move I, on. No, I'm just saying that's just for further down the road, so I can revert back to this episode. No, I said semi. <laughs> <laughs> it's called hedging your bets. Hedging I think, my isn't bets. It? 
Let's talk about the Leinster Connacht match. A much better game, much more competitive game. Yep. Um, and I will start. I have, sorry, I have to start off with this because I there are a number of Connacht fans in my office, and I have to say that a lot of them, and in fairness, the vast majority of them, are being far too pessimistic from this result. Then I think is really warranted. I don't think that. Connacht were uh, as bad as, as a lot of people are, are, are saying they were. I don't think that they... I think there were certainly deficiencies across the board, but I you look at it, 20, 20 points to three against... It. Now, yes, if Leinster had finished off and took in some other chances, absolutely could have been a lot worse. But I think from a defensive point of view, from a... Like, from what we've seen from Connacht so far, I don't understand why people obviously I mean you don't congratulate Connacht but like signs are still quite good for Connacht they're on the up they're and up. quite good I suppose the thing to say about Leinster is that's the best defensive display I can see from, I can remember seeing from Leinster in any competition in the last two or three years there wasn't like nobody would have beaten I don't think there's a club in the Northern Hemisphere that would have been able to get around what a complete sort of gridlock the Leinster defence was. If they tried to go tight, they didn't get over the gain line. If they tried to go at the rook, they got smashed. If they tried to go wide, they got tackled behind the gain line. And I think Leinster midfield made Bundy a key look average enough. He didn't get over the gain line. He just didn't get over the gain line. And that's there's no, there's no shame in that. Connacht actually played really well. I thought their forwards were brilliant. I thought Sean O'Brien, the, the, the Connacht Sean O'Brien, was absolutely fantastic. I thought Finley Bellum had a really good, as the Buckley, a really good scrummaging match that, that faded off in the last 20 minutes. But like at one stage, they shunted Lencer off their ball and that's Keane Healy and Tyke Furlong. That's the best loose head and the best tight head in the Northern Hemisphere and maybe in Tyke Furlong, the best tight head to push them off the ball is an extraordinary achievement. And I think the signs from Connacht are really positive. I think the thing is, what we've learned is the way to beat Connacht is to make sure that their centres aren't running onto the ball in space. We had this a few weeks ago. I feel like all I'm talking about is centres running onto the ball in space. But when you have a back three of Adi Loken, Kelleher, O'Halloran, obviously Healy, uh, Matt Healy had to pull out last minute, but to pick from those four, if their centres, if they get on the front foot, Connacht are going to score twice. So if you can shut them down, they're going to struggle to score. Um, and Leinster did that really effectively and attacked really effectively. But yeah, I thought the signs for Connacht were great. I thought Jack Carty had another cracking game. Um, yeah, yeah, Carty actually was quite impressive. Actually. Tactical kicking out of hand is the is it, it with ball in play is tactical kicking out of hand is in the first five rounds of this Pro 14 is best in Ireland. He's phenomenal. Like he, the way he just puts it, he can just tread onto mm. the corner. It's O'Gara esque. I'm not saying. He's going to develop into that kind of a player or whatever, but I think you're right. Leave him there. What is he? 25, 26 now. Run of games. Hopefully, he can stay injury free. And the sky's the limit for Carthy because he's playing brilliant rugby. No, I, uh, you know, I agree. I, I, I as I said, I, I do think that the uh, the warning signals being thrown up by a few kind of fans was were a bit pre- premature. You look, you're going up against again, not a full, almost a full strength, almost double yeah, it's winning, almost yeah. full strength yeah. side. And again, look, yeah, very actually, probably very much like the South Africans. Um, if Leinster maybe control themselves a little bit better, you know passes went to hand and all that but at the same time that it, it that Connacht were able to keep it to that score their defensive lines were really well worked um yeah we shut down I think quite quite effectively not only their centers but also their wings and their forward their forward momentum yeah. uh, momentum and it's funny because despite the fact that we could have been f- much further ahead Josh van der Fleer Johnny Sexton Scott Farley how good is Josh oh, van der Fleer I mean how, how do you pick that back how do you pick a back row for Leinster yeah. I can't have it for Ireland the fact, so have been, Sean O'Brien coming back from injury who I thought he was quite enough but you can't expect you can't expect fireworks when he's no. back from nine months out or whatever you can't and also you know me Dan Levy's coming back this week but Van der do you know Van der Fleer is playing brilliant rugby I don't know how the hell they're going to pick a back row and I think what will end up happening for Cullen with Leinster looking forward to Munster but actually more so looking forward to the big games in the Heineken Cup is we're going to see a home Leinster team and an away Leinster team the way Joe Schmidt used to pick mm. you know Schmidt used to pick Isaac Boss a scrum half for games away in France a more physical player yep. and then pick on Red in a home you know run the ball I think you're going to have to see that happening with Leinster horses for courses because like, how can you say there's a first choice open type flanker between Sean O'Brien and Josh Van der Fleer? And, I don't. Uh, I don't think. Lee. I don't think. Like, there's this is the thing about Leinster. Of course, you know, I generally try not to do this. A Leinster fan right now, we've across the board in positions that we are ridiculously 
inundated with with CVs of just like here, here, well, here. But the, the thing about Lenser, the Lenser machine, and I think I know people complain about. But it's, I know people are complaining about how many Lenser players there are. I know there are how many Lenser players there are in Connacht, how many Lenser players there are in Munster. But like the alternative is just to go the way of Dublin and GAA football, where all the riches are hoarded in this one place, and the mm. team becomes unbeatable, unplayable. Like one player who has benefited hugely from a move out west, Tom Farrell. Man, we've he had yeah. he like he was Connacht's best player on the pitch. He was absolutely brilliant. He was making line breaks. He was passing off both hands. He was carrying physically. Like playing against Gary Ringrose isn't an easy job. Gary Ringrose is top three outside centers in the world at the age of twenty three. He's he's phenomenal. Uh, and I thought Farrell acquitted himself really well. So the signs for Connacht are great. Yeah, the like, for no, 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 are no, also no. very good. Yeah, no, I mean, it was just a really good match. I. Did, I Again, like the very and it was a bit of dirt, a bit of fucking niggle in it. Bit of niggle, wanted to the head out of, shooter, yeah, as it should be. As it should be. I mean, certainly uh, Robertson McCoy, certainly. Oh, shocking! Shocking. Um, and like he'll have to book thrown at him for that. Yeah, well, and well, you know something? I would say that he would, except for the fact that we've seen in the last number of weeks nonsense being thrown out left, right, and centre. So I don't know that he will. It's a stamp he on should. the neck. It's a, but what's worse is it wasn't just a stamp on the neck because when you watch it, he stamps on the neck and then as he's coming away, he just kind of uses uh, Van der Fleer's neck as leverage to kind of push himself back. It's 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 disgraceful. What I love about Van der Fleer is he didn't make a meal out of it. He didn't. He was uh, like, you saw that, right? And in fairness, straight after <laughs> the game, he's like, beats. oh, he apologised, he kept apologising. Like, doesn't, and, and a lot of people, a lot of people kept using this, well, Van der Fleer is holding on to his leg. That, I'm sorry, doesn't matter. Is Van der Fleer uh, playing cynically? Doesn't matter if he has a thing up his no. bum. <laughs> exactly. No, is, is, is Van der Fleer uh, uh, guilty of cynical play? No question. Absolutely he is. He's a fucking open side flanker. Does not warrant a stamp on the neck and no. does not allow... For, Nothing does, does. No, it doesn't. It's, it's like, there's no place for it for God's game. sake, for the amount of... And Conor Murray is absolutely in this bracket, but you're, God, the amount of scrum halves that are guilty of cynical and annoying play yeah. doesn't mean we can go out and give them a fucking choke slam. No, it's crazy. And like, you know, a red card, like the damage does to your team, like he's ruined. Like, no, he's going to get a big ban. No, like, he, he will. He will. Ban, and one thing I will shot. say to Ron, absolutely po- apologize uh, overtly to to Van der Feer. Apologize to his team apparently uh, a lot, and he and he is absolutely remorseful. I'm not, and I'm sure that he is. He just still deserves the ban and all that. You know, it, I'm not. We're not. I'm not throwing out to the wolves here. Bring him back in eventually after he serves ban, and we get on. So I suppose the takeaways from our Lenser look like they're to be in a very good place. Um, Gary mm-hmm. Ringrose, geez, he's really looking like he's the the full package. Yeah, getting into Larmer, sorry, oh, Larmer. Yeah. Actually, just to, to just to mention, I think it's funny, and I will admit this: that there are often times that you can put the two of them in the same picture, and I, I go, "That's Ringrose, that's Larmer," <laughs> and I'm squint. completely wrong. It's like the cloning machine. Yeah, that they have you in know, it's, rugby where they're it's, like it's your... distilling Brian O'Driscoll's <laughs> DNA. Yeah. And so, you know, like... But Larmer, I think, uh, really, really stood up on the day as well. Like Larmer, I prefer been, Larmer fullback. I think. He, I do. He I, gets I, hands I prefer, a lot more. But I think Larmer has been building. I mean, when it started, obviously, with Larmer was this was a player we were looking at, and then had that shocker against uh, Scotland. But I do think that's clearly just been uh, been a benefit to him because he's building on it and he's and he's working towards a, a great, great. He's twenty one. Sorry, he's twenty one. But I, you know, I just I'm a big fan of Larmer. And so of course, Connacht in really good nick. I yep. think. Going forward, you would like. I mean, I'm not Ulster, saying Ulster won't be delighted to no. be welcoming Connacht up to the Kingspan, and um, we don't really know where Munster are. Like, do, yeah. do Munster have a chance to beat Leinster this weekend? No, you don't think so. No, I don't think they do. I think um, even again going back, like, I'm not going back to however they, whoever, however many players and whoever they drop and all that. No, I still think that Leinster are far more built in their replacements and their second string, which has more first string than yeah. second string say for Munster so no I I, I can't see Leinster not win, I, I, win. I can't see the, I, I, can't, I can't see them losing it yeah I'd be in agreement with you on that and then I suppose like are Connacht turn up and also are hard to beat in the Kingspan in Kingspan it's difficult they've got Rory Best and Stockdale back apparently yeah. so I'm going to go with Ulster I'm going to say Connacht by three points yeah I'm going to say it's tight I bet you point Guinness. point Guinness. Three points either way. Okay. Right. Before we finish up, yeah. Two things. One thing that we referenced last week was so probably uh, there's been there's been uh, developments there. Yep. And um, so we want to talk about that. And then the other thing, just uh, a bit of uh, law changerage. Law changerage. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Let's talk about Joe Marler. Joe Marler has come out on another podcast to talk about his decisions behind retiring. 
and internationally, internationally. Oh, from the club, yeah. They seemed yeah. kind of genuine enough. I kind of thought when I heard he was going to give this interview, I was like, oh, I bet this is going to be a crock of shit and he'll just be kind of doing the political or whatever. But he seems to be very clear that it was taken away from his family too much, the time commitment was too huge, and that he was sort of getting separation anxiety even before he was going away. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Was, yeah, no, I think he's done rugby a service there because he's, he's talking about struggling with... Stuff he, like anxiety, whatever, yeah. and you only ever hear players talk about that once they've retired. He is no, you absolutely, Normal. and I think one thing as well, like because we're talking about this on the evening that it's been released throughout the day, in that uh, he was speaking on, uh, as I said, another podcast. Don't know if we can mention it, but yeah, we can. It's the rugby pod. The rugby pod. Yeah. Uh, it's not a secret. It's not <laughs> the rugby pod. A uh, great podcast, and you know, a lot of journalists, a lot of papers, they jumped on the. I think just on a great. And I, I suppose it, it's the example of audio not translating into words. Well, just taking a soundbite. Well, yeah. taking a soundbite, but also, you know, the audio not being able to be translated into the into the written form. So he, what he said was that he he was throwing, and and this is from the the printed version yeah. of it that he was he was he was looking for penalties he was looking for yellows and reds uh, in matches so that he would be banned from going to uh, england training and england uh, camps and that and quite frankly when i had now i'll, I'll admit that i had read that before i'd heard that ep- before i heard that episode and him talking about it but when i went and listened to it i was like actually hold on what you've done there is a complete disservice to this man who we all admit has, has done some silly things in his time but what he was was really saying, and the way in which he was saying, was that I suppose looking essentially, back, he looking, had realised, yeah, yeah, and I suppose subconsciously yeah. had done these things, and you know, because he he even when you look back on how many times he had, he had made some sort of uh, bad decisions, and and people go, why'd you do it, or what, you know, he's like, I, you know, I'm not sure, and maybe now he's had the time to reflect on it, he realises that it's a subconscious thing, he did it. Because he, it just was weighing too heavily on his mind. Well, he was saying the, he was getting really anxious. Anxious, yeah, and, exactly. And about being away. And, and, and he said that, like, when he went to South Africa, he had been kind of talking with his wife about not wanting to go. And he had kind of decided he'd go on that and it kind of finished up or whatever. And yeah, look, I don't think he can begrudge anybody you can't. for I'm coming out big. and saying, I want this time. He says, you can earn all the money in the world, but I'm not going to get this time back on my kids. And I can't say that. I can, yeah, well, and that's another one. I can't say this because I, I don't have kids myself, but you know knowing people who do and stuff one of the big things was he like he said once he once kids came into the picture he realized yeah what the important stuff was i suppose like i think you know it's uh, it was a very courageous interview i thought he was very brave to be talking about that stuff as i say he's i think he's done a big service to rugby by coming out as such a high profile player by coming out and, and saying what he said um you I, would i do wonder if his anxiety levels would be quite so high if there was a different head coach in, in England, it's like... That does raise to... other questions as well. And absolutely. maybe let's come back to that because well, yeah, yeah. kind of because, time. No, absolutely. And I'll just finish with this because I do also think that the disservice here is, is also being done by the quick sort of uh, media that, that comes out and, and, and has, has framed his comments in such a way that, again, has put the actual mental health aspect of it to the back of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, kind yeah. of, again, yeah. vilified a very easy character to vilify. And yeah. I, I'm sure he would admit that he's, uh, you know, an easy target of all that. But ultimately, I, I, I felt that his interview kind of explained in, in a far greater detail what, 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 how he came to his decision. And so. lastly, but not leastly, uh, Falao's Law. Let's oh, hear about this. God, Law. So, so when we heard about this, we were home, hoping that they'd brought in a sort of uh, anti-homophobic kind of legislation around what is and isn't okay to be sort of posting on social media in response to Flau. But actually, it has to do with the fact that Flau got himself a yellow card in the third test against Ireland in the, yeah. in the summer. And so uh, World Rugby have introduced Law 9.19 or 9.19, I don't know how they're going to And basically, so in, in their Just own before words, we start this, in fairness to World Rugby, most of the amendments and new laws that they bring in have a positive effect on the game. Yes, and they actually, in, in this one, while there are bits, they are right. But uh, this is their wording. Law 9.19, in open play, any player may lift or support a player from the same team. Players who support or lift a teammate must lower the player to the ground safely as soon as the ball is won by a player of either team. 
So this is basically referencing uh, when you, in open play, so obviously players get lifted in the line out or whatever, but more often than not, when players will get lifted, it is when the, a restart is taking place. So uh, the ball has been kicked long and a prop, traditionally what would happen is a prop would lift a flanker or a second row into the air to help them to catch the ball. And Someone's lifting someone. Someone's lifting someone. What started to happen more recently is two things. One is that players that aren't forwards, so Connor Murray's and Gary Ringrose have started to be lifted because obviously they're lighter and they're easy to fire in the air. And maybe aerobically, they're a bit more comfortable. Not aerobically, athletically, they're a bit more comfortable on, on the ball. But what's been happening as well is that due to the strict laws about players being taken out in the air, is that the lifter is lifting the player up and then holding them up in the air for longer than needs be. Um, so that if somebody crashes into them, obviously it generates Well, yes, but I, it, it's also not just about longer than needs be. It's just about... a whole. Like it's holding them up, and then a player of and and the reason it's called his uh, Falao's rule is because he is the best at at the high jump for yeah. lack of a better term. I mean, he used to be carny, but geez, Falao is yeah, he's, he's ridiculous. And so essentially, it means that you know, I suppose it, it's going to it will cause problems going down because it's going to then come up to the referee and then the TMO to decide who was at fault here. Was it the jumper or was it the lifter? Mm. Um, and the sanction is a free kick pretty sure in my years of watching rugby this could be the first time ever where we see a team get penalized for something they did if that makes sense as in let's say argument sake cj sander lifts peter armani yeah fellow jumps and they, they, all, they all armani. they all fall over everybody gets the yet, yellow card <laughs> but cj sander is penalized for lifting on my if yeah. that you know, it'll take so a bit of interpreting, yeah. and I suppose let's keep our eye on it and see yeah. how it goes. It's it's yeah. it, in fairness, it's much like this new uh, rugby world calendar that they're trying to introduce. We don't know much about it. Like yeah. okay, they've got the wording of it, but we know the wording of things. It's always so that brings us to the end of uh, this week's episode of Tomato Salad. Thank you very much as always for tuning in. You can find us on Acast, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Don't forget to hit us up with any questions at tomatosaladpod at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Special shout out to our new listeners in Australia and America. Yeah. These absolute legends. Apologies we didn't get a chance to read out any of your questions this week. We just ran a little bit over in our excitement. We'll get back to that next although, week. Although John Maryland, he is he's definitely on our list next week. 100%. Unless something, unless World Rugby has completely changed in the last <laughs> seven weeks. But yeah. Um, so yeah, so thank you very much for joining in. Thank you very much, Andy, as always, for joining hey, me. Hey, bother. And we, we'll see you next week. Tomato salad, baby.